Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference. And I'm Michael Adam Beck, and I'm the director of Fresh Expressions Florida and director of Fresh Expressions United Methodist. And today we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Feels so right and so good to see that doctor in front of her name, Susan Arnold. And Susan is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, and she's currently serving in the Holston Conference in Kingsport, Tennessee, as the uh, congregational developer in that conference. Uh, she has done some really exciting doctoral research that we're going to get to learn about today in Fresh Expressions. And she's also a wife, mom, grandma, I still can't believe that, uh, educator, and loves spending time in prayer. And I know that to be so true of Susan and uh, in groups and um, cohorts that I've been a part of. Susan is our constant force of prayer, um, uh, helping us all along the journey. So Thank you so much for giving us your time to be with us today, Susan. It is a joy and a delight to be with both of you all and um, all that God gathers uh, with us. Um, I'm just really excited uh, to have the opportunity to be with you all. So Susan, one of the first questions that we ask always is who, who you are. So who is Susan Arnold? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so at, at my core, um, I am a beloved child of God who loves to walk with people and hear their story um, and hear where God is intersecting their life and um, just listen to the places that, um, honestly, places people are struggling, places people are celebrating, um, and, and places people long to see uh, God's glory break forth. So uh, at, at my core, I guess I'm a sojourner with people in the journey of Christ. Beautiful. So tell us, how did you first get um, plugged in, involved, uh, aware of the Fresh Expressions movement? So that began many, many years ago um, at Asbury Seminary in Florida when, um, Michael, when you preached there, I was there with um, Dr. Frymeyer, and he had invited you to preach, and um, I knew that you were connected with Fresh Expressions, and he, um, your, your sermon was, was, of course, amazing, right? I mean, it was, of course, amazing, and so I began to explore um what was at the heart of Fresh Expressions and began to do some, um, our, our conference wasn't really working in Fresh Expressions. So was kind of one of the first people to begin to go out and search out uh, what is this Fresh Expression thing and how do we begin to learn more about that? So I began to do workshops and those sorts of things. But that's where it began, in Florida at a, from a sermon. <laughs> so cool. And uh, Frimerians, just a shout out to the Order of the Frimerians. Uh, preachers, um, Dr. Frymeyer. So cool. Yeah. That's great. And I know, um, Michael mentioned a little bit, but you just, um, you just got your doctor of ministry, um, specifically concentrating on fresh expressions. So I want to, do you think you could talk to us a little bit about that process and about why you chose 
us to hone in on fresh expressions. And we'll talk more, like Michael said, about your dissertation, but a little bit about what why you decided to get your demon and what it was like. Sure, sure. So um, that came from a, a place of prayer. When I finished my um, Master of Divinity, um, the next Sunday, I stood in the pulpit and shared with my people that I was going to get my doctorate. And then I walked out that day thinking, I do not know what in the world I'm doing that in, but I'm going to do that because the Lord had kind of dropped that in my spirit through prayer. And um, so um, United is a seminary that was on my radar due to their um, their focus and seemed like they were really um, connected with the Holy Spirit. Um, they just things I'd seen, things I'd read. And so when I began to see more uh, coming through there about fresh expressions, um, I already had that heart and passion was learning and growing and, and kind of practicing a little bit in my context and trying to share with our district superintendent um, about what that looked like um, and, and trying to <laughs> invite people to learn more about fresh expressions along the way. And as I was doing that, um, it just seemed like a natural fit um, because that's kind of my passion is to be with people in community and to, to just incarnationally share um, the love of God and to, again, to sojourner with people in that journey. So it just seemed like a natural fit. Um, Michael reached out and, and shared that God had laid my name on his heart. And um, I told him I'd need to pray about that. Um, I prayed about that and talked to my family and affirmed that that was the place and the path to go. So that's a little bit of, of why I chose Fresh Expressions and the journey there at United. Yeah, and you were one of the first uh, doctors in the world um, and Fresh Expressions in church renewal. So that's talk about adventuring, you know, blazing a new trail. Um, you you were the first among that first group of graduates to do that. So that's really cool. Yeah, amazing, awesome group. We just kind of each had a heart and a passion um, for fresh expressions. It was amazing to see how God gathered and collected people uh, in our group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. how that continues to grow. It's, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, one of the things that you like to talk about is um, the blended ecology and how we can have these different approaches to ministry and how they can all work together and collaborate. Um, and so what can you talk about that, about the blended ecology, maybe give us a good a good um, definition of that. And then if you think it is really possible for these fresh expressions, these new experimental ways of church to um, to live in a in an ecology alongside of the traditional inherited church yeah so the best um best place for me to think about that is the silent stream that runs underneath the floor of the forest floor um, where there are um, these tiny microscopic um, fungi that are in relationship with these deep roots that run under the forest floor um, and it is that the the fungi have some strengths and they have some weaknesses uh, they cannot make their own food um, they have to depend on these roots that are transporting food back and forth um, of trees and shrubs and other larger things in the forest ecosystem to make food and to begin to share um, their strengths and weaknesses back and forth. And from that, they develop such a healthy um, ecosystem within that uh, forest. So I, I go there because 
to me, that's what the blended ecology is like, right? All, all of the congregations and things going on in the community, they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. And then there's this beautiful collaborative piece when they come together um, that without one another, really, they aren't um, as strong as they could be. They may look healthy and strong, but they are lacking some strength that they could have. And um, so the health uh, of uh, the, the inherited church and the health of new things springing up in community um, around the gospel, that just seemed they can do they can be OK um, by themselves, but they are so much stronger and more innovative together um, and both benefit. So it's not like the, the stronger or the larger has everything that's needed to give. And it's not like the microscopic and the tiny um, has everything that the larger, but it really is this interdependence on one another that creates great health and strength. So for me, that is my analogy of the blended ecology and, and why it's so important, right? Could we do things without it? Well, sure. Um, is it going to be as fast and as amazing and as strong as, and healthy as it could be um, with it? No, I don't, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Susan, I, that, I love, that was the most fascinating part about your research for me. It was so good. Just such a beautiful metaphor for the whole organic body of Christ and how it can all work together. Um, so bring it into like, for those of us that are working in, in the inherited church paradigm, mm -hmm. say, so there's a group of congregations, um, you know, uh, there's all the realities of decline in those things. And so we're getting combined back into circuits now. Churches that maybe were a one-point charge now are becoming two, three, four-point charges. Kind of a clergy deficiency in a lot of areas where how are we going to have enough pastors to serve these churches? Um, and then there's sometimes internal conflict. So I served one of these where the two churches don't want to be paired together because okay. they actually have a history of like competing and very different. But anyway... Um, so how does your work inform how to bring vitality uh, to the, these kind of current realities? Sure, sure. So uh, y'all are asking me questions I want to like geek out on. Go ahead. <laughs> be like, she is like a, a cooperative ministry geek out with fresh expressions. That's, um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's good. Uh, yeah. So when I, when I think about um, this beautiful church that God birthed um, for the mission, right? That God birthed this beautiful church for the mission to create disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, what I have seen uh, in my work is that we have formed churches around um, deficiency and decline. Um, and what my work really uh, began to uncover is that we have this technical process, right, of saying, okay, church A and B and C, you all should come together because of these technical reasons and become a parish or a circuit. Um, but what I noted in um, our early United Methodism is that um, they actually built circuits and parishes around um, the benefits and the resources um, not to be stronger. And it was a celebration is to come together as a kingdom of God church and it was around that. So it was not built around efficiency. It was not built around lack of resources. It was not built in a technical way. It came out of this incarnational way of churches seeing these common resources and needs, and they would come together around those things. 
And so my work, what it really worked on was is, um, creating a process to help churches understand and listen to um, the biblical understanding of what it means to be a cooperative ministry, um, to, to really work together for the good of uh, the kingdom. And then it begins to look at what are the church's strengths, what are their weaknesses, um, what are their gifts? Um, what is their passion and desire? Because not every church in a community has the same passions, gifts, or talents or desires. Um, and so then what it did is it began to look at um, what are the needs um, and the assets in the community? Um, and, and really teaching congregations how to listen and listen deeply. And I'll give a shout out to um, the Reverend Luke Edwards. Um, he's got some great work that dovetails great with what I did um, as far as I would recommend his listening pieces, definitely. Um, but that was a part of it was to begin to listen to their community, to do that together, and then to begin to birth new things together. Um, and what I found was um, I served nine years in um well, I served several years, but nine, a nine-year stint in one uh, county seat church. And um, we shared parking lots with uh, a church on the right and a church on the left, and we were in the middle. Um, but that was really the extent when I dug into things of our sharing, right? Our shared ministry was a parking lot ministry, and um, not it didn't really go beyond that. It was really competitive beyond that. Um, but in that nine-year time, um, the Lord really transformed that rela those relationships to where we became ecumenical cooperative partners in our community. And uh, the anchor point for us was the high school um, and the need of high school children um, around summer schools where it started to, to have lunch because they didn't have any lunch. Teachers were trying to buy the lunches for the summer school kids. It was more than they could do. And um, I was convicted on a ride home after visiting summer school and um, I really had a heart and a passion um, to see those children fed. And so went back, talked to my hospitality person and she was all about it. But she was like, we can't do this for the whole two weeks. This, we know we don't have we just don't have the resources. And so um, that, so we kind of have a success story that comes out of that and it, and it began to grow. Um, and that's where it started. But when we ended, we were doing a lot more things together. And so finding common need, listening to the community, um, working together uh, collaboratively um, really made an impact uh, in our lives as church people and in our community lives, too. Nice, nice. So you found that congregations have like unique personalities and passions. No, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I think there's a new book out that would help congregations discover their personalities. And uh, <laughs> it was not readily available when I did my work, but it is now. And I would mm -hmm. highly recommend it. So I, I was going to go um, to talk a little bit about how early Methodism functioned with the circuit riders moving around place, place, laity kind of really doing the ministry mm -hmm. with circuit riders, more providing, uh, you know, insight sacraments those kind of things but really the whole people of god and engage in ministry uh and focused on mission like your work clearly shows and then talk about how does fresh expressions adventures ministry does that kind of recapitulate in some ways that early methodism or do you see a connection in those things 
Oh, definitely. So early Methodism, um, my great grandfather was a Methodist circuit rider in the area that I live in. And um, I've preached in one of the churches that he preached in. Um, but the area was very vast. It was a, more of a region that he would cover. And so um, there was no way for the church to grow and develop and to be strong and for the hunger and the thirst that people have for God, um, if they only depended on a circuit rider like my grand, great grandfather to come around once a quarter or once a month, it just depended on their region on how often they could get to an area. Um, but what they had was the circuit riders had such a passion and a heart um, for where people were and helping them um, grow in their relationship with Christ. And so they knew the fallacy of themselves. I think that, you know, there was no way they were going to be able to honor what God had asked them to do and raise people up and move on. Um, so they would raise people up in their communities, um, these communities of faith, and that's where the ministry and the mission and the listening and the discipleship would really happen. And then the, the circuit rider was on to the next place. And so ministry um, had, to, you know, they wanted and desired for ministry to continue to happen. So they had to invest and equip people that could do that and then be able to move on to the next place. And they would do that from place to place. Um, some of my research showed, too, that. Um, it was really funny if they heard about a settlement, um, they, they had such a passion, they would leave kind of their course that they were on and go to this settlement of gathering of people and begin to raise somebody up and then get that going, then move on. And so really the, the development of laity and the equipping of laity and laity pouring into laity and discipling each other um, was a big part of what was going on in that circuit riding system. So um, again, the, the circuit riders would come and, and do communion and sacraments and weddings and baptisms and those sorts of things. But um, the, the real deep mentorship and discipleship and walking with and discovering where people were, were um, hungry and growing for Christ that happened um, in the settlements and in the communities. Um, and much like Fresh Expressions, um, it's really a returning to um, some of our deep, great theological roots, right? Um, going back to um, that there is more to being a, um, a disciple of Jesus, that the, the, uh, the pinnacle is not being um, the trustee's chair, or the leader. There's nothing wrong with being leadership in your congregation, but yeah. if that's our pinnacle. We're missing out on um, growing and growing disciples in our own context and watching um, watching the light and the life of Christ come alive in those that we are walking with and discipling and mentoring and feeling that flicker in ourselves get stronger and stronger. And so um, that's the connection I see between Fresh Expressions and our um, United Methodist Circuit Riding Roots. Love it. There's some deep wisdom there that that's not that we don't need to claim and reclaim and redevelop because we're failing or we're declining. It's it's it it's not that's that should not be our reason. Um, although that might be a pain point that's pushing us that way, um, it really should be a celebration of reclaiming. Um, man, a, a movement that took 
um, the world by fire, right? Um, yeah. Mm. We have great hope. Great hope mm. reclaiming those deep roots. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think it's, a um, you know, thinking about, like you said, what is a, a role of a Christian if it is to bring bring that light and bring the grace and love of God to people. And so um, it takes a kind of a reorienting of your ideas about also, I think maybe what is like God's power in your life. If God's power in your life is for you to have power over other people or authority in certain spaces, then I think that we've kind of lost the plot, you know, but if it's about loving people in simple ways, it's always for me comes back with to relationships. What is it? How does, how do you connect with people um, and walk alongside them? And so it's true with the circuit riders, they weren't able to do that because they were on the move, but they were able to equip people to become those, the ones that can have those deep roots in their community. And they weren't, um, and then it can also be a kind of the horizontal kind of power of where we're all working on this together. We can be a team in, in our local community and we can be equipped from, you know, from our connection with the greater church. Um, and then same thing happens, you know, within, then there's little springs that come out from your congregation out into, uh, out into the community with the fresh expressions. You create this incredible network, this web where everybody is tugging and pulling on the strings because we're all connected. And so each person makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. 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 So Susan, how do you see the network and um, you know, these relationships that Piper's describing? Um, uh, what is there anything we can learn from the Underground Railroad movement? Here's what yeah. I found. Well, yes. Um, we can um, you know, um, that was one of the places that I took some time and really studied deeply um was the history of the Underground Railroad in America. And um, there were lots of congregations, lots of churches um, that formed um, this network of helping um, create this beautiful um, railroad, Underground Railroad would be what they called it. Um, And I think that one of the things I was aware of was that congregations, churches use their buildings to be um, stations and stops to help set, uh, to walk with enslaved people to the place of freedom. Um, but wow, they did so much more. This network, this cooperative network of churches actually sent missionaries into the South to buy land um, and to begin to integrate into um, communities and to build relationships Um, in places uh, that there were many enslaved people, and then they would begin to help that family um, and and groups of people be set free. Um, What was beautiful about that was um, it was the church, uh, um, parts of churches that were actually teaching Sunday school lessons. They were encouraging laity to go back and to live out um, what they were sharing about the injustices of slavery and that they, there were doctors and lawyers and politicians. So it was almost uh, like Piper said, it was almost like the kernel of the message went into um, laity that then would teach that in their uh, homes and in their communities and in their settings and live that out in their life. And as they did that, um, 
a lot of scholars aligned and said, had it not been for uh, the network and the web of teaching and what the churches did together, um, that slavery would not have been ended as quickly um, as it was, um, which it doesn't seem like it was very quick when you look back at history. So for scholars to say that, that it was just the impact they were saying that the churches had in collaborating and working in a network together, um, that it had such power. Um, and I really wonder if we look at our communities today and we look at some of the things, some of the social justices that we still face, um, racism being one, just one of them. But if we looked at those and, and began to reclaim the power that we see the churches have as they network together, um, in the Underground Railroad, it's like, what what could we do that would change many of the isms that we see in our communities um, that churches shouldn't just look at it and go, oh, man, that's just way too big for, for us. Um, I, I don't think so. It, we've been here before and seen it before. The church can make a huge impact when they um, work cooperatively together. That's what I learned. The biggest piece of what I learned about the Underground Railroad. Um, and cooperative ministry together. Yeah, so there's this kind of subversive movement of Christians and churches kind of rallying around the social justice um, thing. And then you've got um, other systems that, that are kind of not favorable to that, obviously, right? But the church was able to be involved in this really grassroots revolution and the liberation of people uh, in a profound way. And then, so the, like the Fresh Expressions Movement borrows a lot from the work of sociologist Manuel Castells, as you know, and his work on the network society uh, that were shifting. Uh, this was noted in the Mission Shaped Church Report, which kind of sparked off the whole Fresh Expression Movement. Um, but we're moving from this industrial, hierarchical uh, hub and spoke kind of um you know, churches structured kind of like franchises in a, in a corporate hierarchy to now a network society that's spread out through technological flows and nodes and hubs and um, suggesting that the church needs to adapt to that kind of a, a, a network way of being. So um, with your work, basically you're, you're showing how the church can, can restructure itself uh, within within the societal revolutions that have kind of taken place and bring ourselves back to that, you know, movemental networking subversive kind of way of being. So you have a really interesting vantage point as a developer over a whole conference, right? And I'm sure you see people really, really excited about this revolutionary effort and um, can make the church give the church access to be involved in things like social justice and anti-racism and to really form community around those things. Um, but you also probably see pockets of resistance and, and maybe um, people who want to defend the status quo, if you will, or maybe I'm reading something into your experience as a developer, but give us like the balcony view of how you see the movement and those realities kind of playing out. Right, right. So part of the biggest place as a developer is I see the movement um, that that we ke I keep trying to anchor people back into is, is where you opened um, um, in your description of, of who I am is um, prayer. 
um, you know, it, it's so quick. We're so quick, I think. Um, and I think that goes to what you're saying from uh, especially the industrial revolution is we see a situation, we see a problem and we want to fix it and we create something to do that. Um, and that again, that might be OK. Right. I mean, it may work for a little bit. Um, but what I'm trying to invite people to is in, in this crucial, beautiful moment we have as a church um, in this time that that um, together with God, it's on our watch. Right. To, to be the church is in this time is on our watch um, and thinking about um, if we don't anchor that deeply in prayer and really begin to listen. Um, so when people offer up pain points or celebrations, it's, it's kind of coming to that place of going and, and help me understand what God is saying to you in this. Um, what, what is this desire and this passion and, and where is that stirring up? And so there's more of an incarnational um, grounding and up, up kind of up tick, maybe I would say. Um, and there's much more energy around it becoming that movement again when we're joining that move of the Holy Spirit. And so um, one of the things I know as a developer is people are, we're really quick to, na to name the problem and the situation. And sometimes we miss that there's a root under it um, and that we might not even be able to see it. It may take, um, Jesus tells his disciples, that one comes out with prayer and fasting, right? It may take seeing the root coming out of a situation with prayer and fasting. Um, and then beginning to um, pray into, because then what we want to do is we, we label and know the situation. And then what we want to do is go, okay, well, if we just did this, this, and this, then we'll meet that and it'll be fine. Right. And um, I think, and, and there's nothing, you know, again, um, that fix it kind of want to jump, jump in there and make it better and fix it situation. Um, however, we we leave out um, what is God saying here? What What is the wisdom and the deep revelation that God has um, that we can't see? Right. Um, or we may see the tip of it and we've just not gotten to the fullness of it. And so as a developer, that is one of the places I feel like this movement um, is is to follow that move of the Holy Spirit. And for me, that begins in prayer. And so I really, really work hard with um, groups and with people that um, are asking questions and wanting to see things transformed um, to really anchor ourselves together in prayer. So I think that's the best move to, to be part of the movement. <laughs> Amen. I wonder, too, because I think prayer will reveal the kind of... Um, the why, what the call is, you know? And so why, why are we a church? Why do we call ourselves Christians? Why has this church, you know, why has God put this church in this place at this time in this neighborhood around these people? And then the who is the next, who are we called to and where and why and how? Um, and I think asking those questions, but if you always have to be kind of centered back to the why, why are we doing this? Why are we here? why why is uh you know why are we calling ourselves christians we have to investigate that and we have to know that so that it will be this thread that will continue on that we can always reorient ourselves back to yeah and, and i think about that with um with congregations right so i take that back pull that back right and, and look at the congregation in the community um and it's lasted for a long time 
Um, Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what I'm hearing right now is people say they're tired. Um, They've been through COVID. They've been through some difficult situations. They're tired. Um, And I I think um, if you look at the church life cycle, um, uh, you know, the the birth, the the kind of high point of plateau and then the decline, um, something has to interrupt that, right? And I think, Piper, what you just said um, and what I'm finding is helping churches return in prayer to those wise is a disruption. So prayer, prayer can be a real disruption um, if you really lend yourself to, to listen and to anchor yourself into it. Yeah, I love that, Susan. And um, I would like to hear like um, your assessment on congregations that pray uh, in a religious um, sense, like routine, um, but I think maybe the kind of prayer that you're working with folks and helping them uh, dig into is maybe a little bit uh, different than maybe what they've experienced in the inherited paradigm. Um, but, you know, I tried to write about this in Fresh Expression of the Digital Age, that uh, there's a lot of just stuff out there that, you know, innovation is the is the solution, right? If we just do new stuff and innovate and we'll do... And I tried to critique that some that um, a lot of what we call innovation in the church is really just creative destruction. And uh, it's about our ingenuity and our bright ideas and our, because we're in a culture of innovation. We're in a culture of workism where everybody's innovating all the time and innovating your unique self and everybody trying to be their own brand. And, and we live in a culture of idols where we're supposed to be icons that point to God and we live in a culture of idols where we point to ourselves so living for Jesus is really different and and innovation is yes there there's a biblical like foundation for it but it's so different it's not our way of innovation is like all new things you know we want brand spanking new stuff brand spanking new ideas and ways uh, God's way of innovation is I make all things new. And that this is just a shift of one word, but it's so different. And sometimes innovation for Christians is like sitting in prayer in waiting for God to act, right? Or waiting for God to show us the thing. Or um, the, the, the posture that I find so difficult for people to, to shift is it's not about what we're doing. It's a prayer is about asking God, God, what are you doing and how do we join into you? Yes. But a lot of times I feel like as a church, we just jump out, we do stuff and we pray for God to bless it because it's all the flashy new stuff the denomination's talking about or whatever, right? But to teach people to actually listen, what is God doing in our community, in us, and how do we join into that? That does not feel like it's a natural thing to our denominational culture yeah no and i love what you said i um, what popped in my head as you were talking was um um creativity or innovative clutter right that we end up with this clutteredness of busyness um of of that what we can do and and i would agree what i what i am finding is uh, and have found over this last year is that that is not a natural way um, for our congregations to pray. It, it would be an, a prayer additive, as Sue Nelson Kibbe would call it, a prayer additive um, uh, to add on to what they are already doing. But 
what I have found across this um, year of, of uh, being the developer here in Holston Conference is um, early on when congregations begin to ask me as developer um, in church decline, what would you recommend we do? And I did talk with them about breakthrough prayer, which is the prayer you're, you're talking about, Michael, really listening for what is God doing um, in the community? What is God doing in us? And, uh, and how do we join that together? Um, and I've had three to four congregations um, um, back in June at annual conference came to me. The pastors were like, you're not going to believe. Um, we took what you said a year ago about breakthrough prayer. And we, I, and I had no idea. They, they're like, we got these books and we taught our congregation how to pray like this. And, um, you know, I, I'd referenced uh, C. Nelson Kibbe's open road book is the one they were talking about. And um, they were like, you wouldn't believe the, the things of God we've seen happen and the ministries that um, we've let go, but the ministries that we have added and how we are connecting with our community. Um, this one church had an 80 year old acolyte, right? And in, in Methodism, usually the acolytes are the children and the youth, right? Maybe mm -hmm. young adults, 80 year old acolyte, but they were not going to give up carrying the light of Christ into that building and carrying the light of Christ symbolically out. Um, now they are, um, they are, have found ways to be in ministry with children in their community, um, and they're just so excited. So, um, yes, I agree. It is not something, and what I've really tried to do is um, do as Wesley said, look for the people in the, in, the, in the conference with bright eyes that have a hunger, that are, um, you know, um, asking those questions about um, what do we do and how do we, how do we hear God in prayer and how do we join God in ministry? Um, and so um, there's been some great stories uh, come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love that prayer, you know, it centers you, brings you back to the, to the why. And then it also draws you to act and to, because you've been listening. And so you see where God is moving and then you go and go partner alongside. That's cool to hear those stories. Yeah. so um oh do you have something michael yeah i was just on what you're saying there it's um i really like um ignatian spirituality which is the synthesis of prayer and action mm -hmm. and um praying with the imagination not necessarily just uh like the eastern idea of meditation non-being stilling the mind and the idea of ignatian spirituality is uh, we inhabit scripture and we through the power of imagination, we are drawn into God's imagination. And then our, our movement, our action is flowing in that. So there is this false dichotomy of like, you have to just sit still for great periods of time mm -hmm. to hear from God. But I think if you cultivate this Ignatian way of spirituality, where it's like you're, some people call it the fresh expression, spidey senses, or when uh -huh. we're, out, we're out in the community, we're noticing, we're observing what the spirit's doing and it's almost this mm -hmm. third site where you're trying to see mm -hmm. the spirit's activity underneath the conversations underneath the movement in the community underneath what people are up to and you learn to see and follow those uh my mentor leonard sweet wrote a book called nudge evangelism where you're following the nudges of the spirit tracking the trails of the spirit throughout your daily life mm -hmm. uh, so that's prayer too so mm -hmm. i've, I've I love what you said, Piper, about like prayerful action. And, and it's not just when I've talked with prayer about my groups, they're really good at like 
you know, we get together or we have the prayer list for all the needs in the community of our people that are in the hospital this week. And so good to do that and to pray for that. Right. But that is basically the extent of their prayer life. That's like, we're going to pray for all the people that in the church. Um, and to shift that thinking of like, how do we prayerfully think about our community and engage and seek out what God is doing? It feels really weird to some folks. They're like, this feels Pentecostal or something. I'm I'm like, well, yeah. Uh, have you studied early Methodism? <laughs> it was a spirit-led kind of crazy, you know, the spirit was doing all kinds of stuff, supernatural things in, in the beginning of early Methodism. But yeah, all we're doing is saying, let's pray as we go about our daily life and see what God might show us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan, um, so as you're you're working with these congregations and you're seeing those kind of testimonies come back. Um, are you seeing the fruit of fresh expressions emerging out of that? Are you seeing some really cool stories where that's happening? Yeah. So one of the things that um we have in our in our um conference is called Camp in the Community, where instead of children going to camp, camp comes to the church there in their community. Um, And one of the things the churches have struggled to do is stay connected with the the families that come, right? They come for camp for a week and then they they go on. So one of the things we're experimenting with this summer has been um, camp in the community and then following up with dinner church. So the Fresh Expressions model of dinner church and having that connection with the families and the with the families. That's an experiment we're currently doing. Um, another experiment we are working with is um, Messy Church, again, because it's so children-based to begin to come out of uh, con- connecting with camp in the community. They're already connecting with families that are not going to church. They're not a part. Um, that's one of the real neat things I love about camp in the community is um, it's really not for the church, the children that are already at church. It's for the community children um, beyond those that are at church. And so um, Messy Church is another fresh expression that's beginning to come up out of there. Um, there's been some talk of some uh, recovery church um, from some congregations that have begun to really, uh, pa- these pastors are newer in their community, but they're realizing that there's a real addiction um, uh, situation in their community. And for people to, to get to a group, they are, they're going to have to travel outside of their community a good distance. And um, one of the things they're really looking at is instead of recreating another AA, um, which is a great program, but they're just trying to offer more options is to do recovery church. And so those are some of the things that are beginning to kind of uh, organically pop up um, that, that I've heard over the past little bit um, this summer. Awesome. Yeah, good good things blooming, starting to plant and take root and bloom. The hunger, though, for fresh expressions in our conference is amazing. Um, we did a lunch and learn at our annual conference where all the pastors and lay leaders had, had gathered, and um, it it uh, sold out quickly. Had people waiting to get in, um, which just said, and and a lot of them said we really didn't know what this. Fresh Expressions called Dinner Church was going to be, but we're hungry. We want to know. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's, I'm just seeing a really increase in hunger and desire. And um, there's another one that is, uh, they're, they're in the relationship building process um, with a Suboxone clinic across the street from the church. 
and they're going over and handing out water and building relationship and listening and talking. And, and uh, if people are there at lunch, they have lunch they take to them and they spend talking to them and listening. And um, one of the chief medical officers there came out, uh, the pastor shared with me a few weeks ago and was just talking about how impactful that they can see a difference in the people that are there for treatment. Um, they can see more hope and a brightness in them. Um, and so, they, again, they're in the relationship building. They're just listening and learning and loving um, this group of people that's right at their front door that are a part of their community um, and that they want to be connected with. So cool. Yeah. So some really, really neat things are happening. And those are just the ones I'm hearing about. So I'm guessing there's others that I'm not hearing yeah. about. I love that. I think it's like you were talking about earlier, people are very, they're tired. There's been a lot of difficult things happening in the United Methodist Church and then just across the world with COVID and all of these things politically and natural disasters, these difficult um, times that we're living in. But I also have this feeling and that I hear from people telling, like you telling these stories that there is also this hunger, like you said, that's coming up at the same time of people are are saying, well, now I feel even more motivated now that I'm, you know, now that COVID and some of these struggles have kind of been, you know, they're still here, but they're moving less of a, a focus that we have. So we can, we're ready to refocus and we're ready to have this um, renewal or this new, we have this new renewed sense of um, we want to be a part of our community. And so I'm so grateful for people like you who are helping people make it happen on that local level. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I I'm excited about the people that God keeps rising up and the leaders, um, both laity and clergy and the conference. Uh, one of the others that we're dreaming is a, a children's church. Um, mm. And then they're already basically doing a lot of the pieces of that in, a, in one of our government housing communities. Um, and they dream for a children's church, not church for adults, <laughs> not, but really creating church from listening to children um, and providing what it is they hear God doing and what the children are saying they need. And um, mm. that, that is in the infant stages. But boy, I, I, I can dream with that. I'm excited to see um, yes. what a community could look like when children are the ones that um, are, are being the equippers, right? Um, mm. When children are the ones that are hungering for um, faith and and relationship with God. And I, I, I mean, I just dream, right. What would the schools look like? What would households look like? Children have such power to change. Um, and I think we forget that sometimes too. Yeah. I know, um, as a little girl, my mom was a smoker and it wasn't good for her health. Like it, it bothered her. And I can remember being a little girl in elementary school and saying, mom, I just wish you would quit smoking for your health. Right. Because it, it was really adversely affecting her. Um, mm -hmm. And she did. And that just reminds me and anchors me that um, children have greater voice um, in their faith journey um, and in their households and in their places of influence. than I think we um, we recognize so mm -hmm. that's that's why that one really excites me. Too. Yeah, I love that. I heard a story of uh, it was a psychologist. He he proposes a positive psychology. Sometimes the psychology has been in this negative of we need to fix people. But he said, what if it's opposite? We lift people up. And it all started because of a story. He was uh, gardening with his daughter and she was five. And she said, dad, when I turned five, 
I decided to um, stop whining and it was really hard, but I did it. And if I can learn to stop whining, you can learn to stop being so grumpy. And it was this thing that just switched in his head. And he was like, I am learning from this girl and I want to be positive. I want to bring those positive things out of her. And so kids really there, we don't listen to them enough, but they have so much wisdom. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So our last, our last quick question, um, if you can answer it quick, what do you think, what is the future of the church? What will it look like? What is your hope? Oh, um, wow. My hope is that the church will continue to reflect um, God's mission, that it will continue to reflect everywhere, that it, that it will be these little, (laughs) these little um, incarnational um, kind of like when you think of a dandelion and you blow a dandelion seeds and they just kind of go everywhere and then they germinate and then there are more dandelion. That's what I imagine the the church, this hopeful um, incarnational movement that is blown from in community within communities and sprouts up and blooms and it's generative, right? It's continued generative. Um, uh, equipping, equipping, and sending out um, lay people, clergy together, um, congregations working collaboratively, and communities experiencing um, the gospel um, from the inside of the community outward. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my vision and hope for the church. Love that. Beautiful. Right. Well, um, are you ever going to publish your dissertation so we can read it? How are people going to hear from you? Where do people find you online? Where do they learn more about your work? Oh, that is a great question. So um, I'm at Holston Conference. You can find me uh, there under the Congregational Developer tab. Um, there'll be there'll be things coming out there. Um, uh, I, I'm working on a uh, collaborative book um, with uh, that will come out through FXUM. Um, Michael will have to tell me all the connections of how people can find that. Michael, how, how do people find that? The, it will uh, promote it through FXUM and Upper Room Books. And so there'll be more coming out about that soon, but it'll have all its own page and everything. Okay. That's yeah. where that's where they'll be able to find more about that. And yeah. then my email is Susan Arnold at Holston.org. Um, people are more than welcome to reach out to me there. But um um, just kind of floating around the kingdom of God is where you can find me. Love that. <laughs> You'll find me if you find me. That's great. <laughs> awesome. I, Susan, I love, I just celebrate you that as a developer, um, you're not cooped up in the office, but you're, you're out on the um, dance floor. Like I see you every week, just out with people and learning and worshiping on Sundays. And, and then you get on the balcony and you take the big view of the whole system but you're not just pigeonholing yourself on the balcony. You're getting out in, into the action with the people. So I just so celebrate that. It's a it's a rare and unique um, way to go about your work. So thank you for it. Well, thank you. I'll just give God glory for those opportunities. Yeah. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, thank you all. It's been a delight and a joy. Yes. <laughs>
And to those listening, thanks for joining in on this episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Susan, you can um, like and rate and review and subscribe and do all those things. And most importantly, share it with a friend so they can hear it as well. And if you want to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and find Fresh Expressions UM through the uh, discipleshipministries.org. I will see you next time on New People, New Ways.